0: and welcome to Storyboard 30. The notes are unmistakable and they are probably familiar to many of you. And that unmistakable sound That instrument, it gives you chills, and it fills your heart. A sound that takes us back to childhood, to innocent times, perhaps striking chords of warm or melancholy feelings we forgot we had. It is the mighty Wurlitzer, the elegant and rousing pipe organ that has been the signature sound of our Orpheum Theater since 1928. It was away for a few years, off to Chicago for a complete rebuilding and restoration And it's now back home on the Orpheum stage. This is your host, Mark Fleischer. And for this very special edition of Storyboard 30, I asked our friend, historian and filmmaker, Willie Bearden, to grab his camera microphone and join me on the Orpheum stage. There we talked to organist and historian, Vincent Astor, to chat about the Wurlitzer, to hear a few notes, hear a few stories, and to welcome Mr. Astor and the organ back home as they both get ready for their first public appearance on November 19th, which we should note is already sold out. But for now, sit back, crank up the volume, and join me, Vincent, and Willie on stage for this wonderful, timeless visit.
1: That's, that's all you're gonna get. That's all I can summon up, but that's what you wanted, isn't it? There we it? go. <laughs> okay, I have never seen this music.
0: That's one of those pieces that you probably don't need to see, right? You can just play it off of memory.
1: This has, organ hasn't all worked in 10 or 15 years. Right. And I will say, you know, it's only because Tony is such a good musician that it has sounded as good as it has sounded for this Mm long. And once we get finished with this electronic, you know what a tracker organ is? No. The main one that's still left in Memphis is Mm -hmm. over at St. Patrick's. Mm -hmm. It is entirely mechanical. The only thing electric about it is the blower. And there are days when I wish this was a tracker. Uh huh. Because it would be easy, easier to deal with.
0: So let's, let's start with um, really talking about the organ itself. Because I did a little bit of homework, you know, to, to figure out what, what's a Wurlitzer. I mean, I've been, you know, I grew up hearing the sounds of a Wurlitzer. But this one in particular is called a mighty, the mighty Wurlitzer for a reason, right?
1: Well, Mighty Wurlitzer was coined by a press person at the Wurlitzer Company, Mm -hmm. which was in North Tonawanda, Illinois. And they started out making mechanical music instruments Uh for various uses, including on carousels and in saloons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this madman came over from England Mm -hmm. named Robert Hope Jones, who had made some innovations to the pipe organ, and they were particularly suited to the theater organ, which was invented about that time. Mm -hmm. This is called, and, and Mighty Wurlitzer is what stuck, although there were several fine organ companies, including ones that, you know, specialized in church organs, who made theater organs at the time. But this one got the most press, Mm -hmm. and what that organ was, it was called a unit orchestra, which meant that it was designed to replace a pit band, Right. and Robert Hope Jones came along and invented the unit part, which made you get more for less. Let me see how, how short I can make this on any organ there are 61 notes in the keyboard one pipe for each note in organs up until that that time that he reinvented things you had to have one stop for each voice and he he had 61 notes well in the era of electro pneumatic technology which means it's a little of both it's not electronic But there's still a lot of mechanics that go with it. He invented a way, instead of having 61 more notes, you could shift everything down or up an octave electronically or Mm electro-pneumatically and just add 12. So this organ, which is 13 ranks, 13 different voices, sounds like a much bigger organ because sometimes what would be five ranks on a standard organ are compressed into one with a lot of extra pipes. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Now, the average person, you think of a pipe organ, you might, you're like, where are the pipes? You know, where are all the big pipes? You know, we expect to see something like out of the Phantom of the Opera or whatever, and you see all these gigantic pipes. Are they, they're all inside, right? Hardly. Hardly. (laughs) (laughs) A pipe
1: organ, since the invention of this technology has always been able to be separate. The console, which is this thing, mm-hmm. which drives the organ, this is what you play, are separate from the pipes, which could be anywhere. At the old Ellis Auditorium, the organ console was on the, sta- on the floor of the room. The pipe work was eight stories above your head. Oh my. Now pipe organists, and most organists, are accustomed to what's called delay, because there is an infinitesimal delay between the key and the pipe sounding, Mm -hmm. and a lot of stuff in between. And organists are accustomed to growing used to that delay and your ear does it all by itself. You just have to play for a while and then your ear gets accustomed. At the auditorium it says, yeah. since it was eight stories between the organist and the organ, you could lift your hand off the keyboard and the pipes would play for an instant. Oh my. I mean it was that it took a half an it took me a half an hour of hard work uh-huh. to get accustomed to that delay. <laughs> but really and um, we're going to illustrate this. I'm not going to do it now; it would spoil the surprise. But I'm going to illustrate this the night of the concert.
0: Oh, very good. Yes. Very good. But
1: the pipework is in the tall loges, mm-hmm. the last box on the mezzanine, uh-huh. behind the long red curtains.
0: Ah, okay.
1: That's where the pipe chambers are. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Gotcha. Okay. And so the interesting part about that, and you know, you can talk about this this whole concept for hours. The interesting part is, there are different voices on either side. So this organ was installed in stereo in 1928.
0: And the same pipes are from 1928 pipes are still... Yes. Wow. Very good. With a
1: few minor exceptions. But Uh this organ has the same design that it had in 1928. Uh-huh. And the organ builder who restored this organ, Jeff Weiler, is becoming prouder and prouder of it because there are there are organs here and organs there and organs yonder, but not very many in their original configuration, mm-hmm. in their original theater. Mm-hmm. And he right. went to a lot of trouble to make this organ very, very close to the way Wurlitzer designed it, but with some improvements that turned out to be major.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Wurlitzer is a brand, and Wurlitzer made a whole series of organs. Yes. Um, and the Mighty Wurlitzer also has different versions, doesn't it? Yes. With different, what they call those manuals? Yes. Yes, keyboards. Yeah.
1: In Organese, this is a three-manual, 13-rank Wurlitzer, yeah. which means it has three keyboards and 13 different voices, mm-hmm. Wow! 13 different types of pipe, which to an organist, you know, might be considered on the s- small to medium side. Mm-hmm. But because of this technology, you know, a little can sound like a lot more.
0: Right, right.
1: But that's, that's what it's about.
0: What is the difference between a Wurlitzer, a mighty Wurlitzer, and a calliope? Or is there? Or is it a vernacular? Is it, is it simply the way we talk about it?
1: Just about every organ has a calliope in it. Uh-huh. And you just have to know which stop to push. Uh-huh. But originally, calliopes were built to be heard very, very long distances, and they were in circuses and on riverboats. Right. And they were what a calliope is is tuned whistles. On a riverboat, you know there was already a whistle and there was already steam, so they just had to contrive this keyboard which would play a bunch of tuned whistles. Mm-hmm. That's a calliope. On the river it's a calliope and at the circus it's a calliope. <laughs> Later on, like the one I have, it was made a calliophone which makes the same sound only with air instead of steam. Mm-hmm. So they're really very different. and. Calliope's don't have ranks. They just have one set of whistles and that's plenty Uh because they're all supposed to be loud.
0: Yeah. So these guys went away. In some cases, I mean, they could have easily gone extinct, if you will, right? Uh, Because back, what, when the 50s, 60s, with with the big CinemaScope films and all that, some, some old theaters I read discarded these completely.
1: This one was lucky. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It was used all through the 1930s, even after the Orpheum Circuit went bust in 1933. Mm -hmm. But it was used up in the 40s by a man named Milton Slosser. And it was used quite often during war bond drives and for films. His name was on the marquee and everything. And so this one was used a lot longer than some of the other ones for uh, intermissions. And, of course, the big theaters like the New York Paramount and Radio City, Radio City still uses their Mm Willitzer. They use it all the time. And it was part of the show because those theaters retained their stage shows, the biggest theaters in the biggest cities. Mm -hmm. But there were other places where they were just in the way and no longer used and they didn't want to keep an organist on for... um, A very, very, you know, a short amount of work. When these were built, there were whole showings of silent films accompanied by the organ alone.
0: Yeah.
1: In fact, when the major epic Napoleon by Gay Abel Gance was shown, it toured the country with a brand new score. The orchestra took their break during one of the sequences of the film, and the organ took over. Uh-huh. I saw it, mm-hmm. no joke, mm-hmm. and that's what they were designed to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was all about saving money, like the fewer pipes and the smaller space and the organ instead of the orchestra and so forth. It turned out though that that's what happened when we first started trying to get the Orpheum fixed up again. An organ in a the theater takes one person to have a show. Right. It's, you know, that's all it takes. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time, and I was that organist through the, um, the 70s and so, not the, well, 75, 76 is when the theater was bought by the then Memphis Development Foundation. Right. And through the rest of that era, except for a short period up until 1987, I was the house organist. And if I was here at work, and somebody needed
0: to be impressed, we could do it. Mm -hmm. Now, you have, I'm I'm assuming, piano training, or, okay. I took piano for five years, but I liked the organ better. Uh
1: And that's really kind of what put me off on guitar music, because I was Catholic at the time. And this was the 60s. So Vatican II happened, instead of these massive old-fashioned pipe organs Mm -hmm. everybody was playing guitar Mm -hmm. so I went to all this trouble and (laughs) the church quit using organ music a lot but uh, I did take piano and I can read music but most of what I play is by ear or by memory so how did you get this gig back in the 70s in 1969 This theater was showing True Grit, the Kim Darby, John Wayne version. Mm -hmm. And I looked up for the first time and noticed how beautiful the room was. And my father before that had shown me this big oblong thing in the pit and said, that's a great big organ. Because he and my mother courted when Milton Slosser was playing. Mm -hmm. So he remembered it very, very well. And when the organ was revived during the next big picture, Butch Casty and the Sundance Kid, I turned up down here and the lights were all on and the organ was playing and I couldn't have been more excited and I made a nuisance of myself uh, after that and ended up learning how to drive a theater organ. The man who fixed it up at the time's name was Bill Oberg and he also worked on the auditorium organ later. But um, I just hung around uh-huh. and ended up changing light bulbs and playing the organ and doing a lot of things and and, and then finally became an employee of the theater. Ma- I was an employee of Malco. I was the only one that they kept when the theater was sold because I knew where all the skeletons and the fuse boxes
0: were. Right. <laughs> now you use the word driving the organ. Is that is that the term? Well, <laughs> it, it, it feels like you're behind the, behind the wheel of a, of a large semi truck or something, right? Well, yes, it yeah. does. Yeah. It does.
1: And that's, that goes with any organ. But since you're kind of surrounded by it yeah. with this style of organ, mm-hmm. it, it, makes, it makes more sense. Yeah. And I tell people who want to learn how to play, a keyboard is a keyboard is a keyboard is a keyboard. You just have to learn to drive the thing that it's attached to. Uh-huh whether it all comes from inside of a synthesizer or whether it comes from eight stories over your head.
0: Yeah, yeah. So explain the different, you've got pedal, you've got, and I can't see everything from here, but you've got different, are those different, those don't, are, uh, uh, denote different sounds? Yes. Okay.
1: The, they're divided on most organs into what is called division. Mm -hmm. And each keyboard will be in a different room, each set of stops. Mm -hmm. Theater organs are different. There's only two rooms, two chambers, with all the pipes in them. So these are by keyboard. The great keyboard, which is the greatest number, is the main keyboard, the one in the middle. Mm -hmm. Then there's one called the solo, which is there for that purpose and the accompaniment, which is there for that purpose, and the pedal, which is the pedal board.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the, that's the difference in a few
0: words. Yeah, and then three manuals, as you said, which are three keyboards. Correct. How different are this, is this keyboard from, let's say, a piano or another type of an organ?
1: Most organs' keyboards are identical. They're 61 notes wide, mm-hmm. and they look the same. Mm-hmm. And if you look closely, organ keys are sort of cut off on the front. For uh, The reason for that escapes me, but it's a different touch than a piano. But the notes are the same. And when you hit an eight-foot stop tab, that is, if you, if you hit an eight-foot tab, that's middle C. Mm-hmm. And then it scoots around. But that, uh, it's very simple. Like I say, a keyboard is a keyboard is a keyboard. Yeah. They're all, they're all the same. They work the same pitch. Now, when you're talking about pitch, an organ pipe is like a whistle. The harder you blow it, the note changes. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't have that on a pipe organ, which has got, what, 900 and some odd whistles in it. You it doesn't work. So they're all closed up in a, in a chamber. And the front of the chamber has movable shutters, which is what controls the volume. Right. And pi- that's uh, on church organs, that's called the swell, because it can swell up or down. The volume can. Some in church organs are unenclosed. But in a theater organ, everything is under this expression. So you can turn the volume up and down a lot of different ways. We have one one shoe for each chamber and for the most part you just put your foot in the middle and turn and for your volume control
0: so i want to quote some numbers these are fascinating to me so we said three manuals which are three keyboards six percussions uh 10 adjustable pistons 12 trap and silent film effects what are what are trap and silent films i mean i'm, I'm assuming i know what silent film effects are but These
1: percussions are mechanically played Mm -hmm. just as if they were in an orchestra. Yeah. That's the glockenspiel. And it will also do that. Okay. There's the xylophone. And here's the marimba. (laughs) So those are tuned percussions. They're just like the ones in the orchestra, Mm -hmm. except they're played from here. Mm and mechanically now the there are also traps (laughs) and there's even a special lever is this one set up yet (laughs) so you have a little thing you can put on there for a roll crash Mm -hmm. and uh Those are the traps. Now the actual sound effects. That's one of them. That's supposed to be horse hooves, but it really isn't. Yeah. My goodness. That one's called Surf, and uh, it actually sounds like
0: it. It does, yeah. But um,
1: so, those are the sound effects.
0: Yeah. So if you were a silent film organist, I would imagine you would have had to have screened the film a couple of times to at least get a feel for some of the sounds that might be good accompaniment to the, to the film itself, right?
1: That's the best thing. There were some movie organists and accompanists that, you know, just walked in and played, especially when they had a lot of experience. And there was a book, one book written mm-hmm. by Erno Rappé, who was the orchestra leader at the Capitol and I think later at the New York Paramount in New York, which was an index of classical pieces suitable to different moods, and you could just flip back and forth. Many organists would have two or three tunes in their head, mm-hmm. like a very Wagnerian, like a light motif, something for a character, or something for a mood, or something about uh, for something to match what's going on. And if they at least had read a synopsis, that would help. Some of the major uh, motion pictures were. Issued with scores mm-hmm. and, the, and the music was scored and you could just read it but uh, it was all different kinds of ways that you could do that yeah but the and sometimes the sound effects are better than others ah uh, let's
0: see. so while you're looking some more statistics 222 percussion notes I mentioned I think no I didn't mention that 949 individual pipes right Twelve hundred twenty-three electromagnetics, two thousand three hundred ninety-nine valves, <laughs> uh, four thousand seven hundred ninety-two. Um, I can't read my own writing. Motifs. Something something motifs. I can't read my own, my own writing. And eight thousand gaskets. It's amazing.
1: It's about right. Uh huh. It's about right. I told one group of people who were here at a dinner I happened to be attending, uh-huh. they, were, they were trying to raise money to redo the organ. I said it's ninety years old. There are a lot of moving parts. They wear out. Because mm-hmm. yeah. there's a whole series of things that happens between the key and the pipe or the key and the effect. And then when you get to stuff like the snare drum, you know, there's an extra little thing there that does the reiterate, that roll, that makes it roll, and um, all kind of stuff, all kind of stuff. It's, I'm not an organ technician, so, uh, so I can't get into great detail about it, but I, there's, a, there's a lot that goes on between the key and the pipe.
0: Oh yeah. So this was out of commission since the 90s, middle 2000s, when?
1: No, it's never been out of commission, oh, good. Okay. completely. It was always used for the film series, or for special occasions, or played for people. It, has, it was silent for a while in the late 40s and early 50s, because uh, there was a dispute with the Musicians Union about you know, what they were going to pay the organ, and it, it got very complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's when they lost <clears throat> probably the most famous organist to ever play, the most nationally known organist to ever play here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, and it, oh, that's all was in the paper because he was very, very popular here. But um, not, it was always kept usable. Mm-hmm. And so it was never, it wasn't like so many organs, like the ones at the other three theater, big theaters, the Warner and Lowe's State and Lowe's Palace. Those organs were just put aside, mm-hmm. never used at all.
0: Yeah. So the decision was made a few years ago then to, to have it restored. Yes. Right. Um, as you approached, or as, as the theater approached restoring the organ, the Wurlitzer. Um, Was it simply a matter of, okay, it's time to get this looked at because there's just too many sounds that aren't functioning like they should or aren't as robust as they should should be. Um, But um, meanwhile, as you said, it was still being played, right? Um, And the community rallied around the restoration, right?
1: I will Okay because I have bragging rights on this. Mm-hmm. I was meeting with Brett because I had heard it mentioned since Brett took over the reins mm-hmm. about wanting to really redo the organ because he had been other places where there were, Chicago particularly, yeah. where there was a very active group of volunteers that took care of a number of theater organs.
0: Right. Brett Batterson, CEO. Brett Batterson, which, yeah, yes, right. the president. Mm-hmm.
1: We were in a meeting And we got, we're talking about it just casually. And I took a check out of my pocket and said, here's your first donation. Very good. And the Orpheum ran with it
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: and was able to raise the money. And for the very first time in its history, the organ was completely dismantled, completely removed. Even the chambers that it is in were remodeled, which Caused a great improvement, and for the first time since the 30s, I guess, everything works.
0: How long does it take to reassemble and put back together the world that's in the in this theater? How long would it, did that take?
1: That's a Jeff question. That's okay. Because <laughs> I wasn't here for that, but it's yeah. a long time. Yeah. And there were. There are parts of this organ, not pipes, mind you, that are so large they had to be lowered through the shutter opening to get them out of the building. Mm -hmm. They're just big and awkward enough that they wouldn't go out any other way. Uh When this theater was built, the way you got to the organ chambers was climbing a long ladder from the main floor and stepping off into this room where the pipes are. That's been changed now. In 83, the box booms were put in on either side of the balcony. And those are accessible by a little known doorway up in the balcony. So now you can go in that way. Mm-hmm. And there is a bridge on this side over this chasm where the ladder is. I mean, you had to climb up a couple of stories mm-hmm. to get to the solo chamber. And, um, Back when I was younger, you know, it was nothing much to it. The ladder on this side of the theater, on the Beale Street side, goes up eight stories all the way to the attic. Mm -hmm. And the chambers are on the way there. But uh, things are considerably easier now.
0: Yeah. Describe the very first time you ever got to play this back in the 70s. Magical. Mm
1: -hmm. Magical. I'd always liked the I had an organ at home, and I'd always liked organ music better than anything else and it was pretty amazing. I had heard it a number of times before I played it, mm-hmm. and I learned a lot from Bill about driving this instrument and uh what because he was a very good musician, and I had listened to a lot of his intermission shows, and so I was able to do that and of course, like most organists. I have some things that I created. It's like playing um, excerpts from the Thieving Magpie with the bird whistle. Uh-huh. And when we used to have a lot of children's tours down here, you know, they would they would get into that. And then there's the locomotive effect, which I learned from him. And um, the other one, which I came up with was the double tango. The song is Hernando's Hideaway. But there are two tangos going on when the reprise comes in. So I've thought of several things on my own.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, fast forward to this year, sitting down with it finally, after having not seen it for, what, three years, I guess? Close to. Yeah, yeah. What was that feeling like?
1: I became very verklempt. (laughs) It was such a wonder to play it and hear it again
2: Mm
1: -hmm. that uh, it's hard to describe. Because we made one another famous again. The organ was known, but it had been sort of not remembered by a lot of people. When I was down here playing all the time, You know, I'm still associated with this organ. After a very long time, there have been like three or four organists since I left doing it regularly and now, Mm -hmm. but people still remember. It's like when I first came to know this theater, everybody was talking to me about Milton Slosser this, Milton Slosser that, so I was forced to learn something that he played. Mm -hmm. But um, the next generation. The next set of people, think of me, and there are people that listen to John Hilton Smith down here for years who associate him with this organ. He's now deceased. There are three of us living that have been like house organists on staff. And many others that have played, of course, of greater or lesser talent. Mm -hmm. I'm closer to the lesser. But, there are three of us left, me and Tony and Stanley Hightower, who's coming from Chicago to this opening concert.
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Besides those three recently, and over the last 25, 30 years, um, is anyone else, of, anyone else of note, have, have, have played the, the organ?
1: Mostly of note in Memphis, although at least two of the organists alternated between theaters in other cities. Mm -hmm. Milton Slosser played in Tulsa and in Memphis. Art Hayes played in uh, Kansas City and in Memphis. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have just been locals. uh, Now, Bill Oberg came down from Milan, Tennessee, for many years on the weekends to work on and play this organ. And um, the rest of us, I think, we're all living here. I can think of maybe six or seven people who were responsible for keeping the organ in playing condition, and uh, who played as well.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. The name Louise, the nickname Louise, I've read about this a few times. I had to go back and backtrack through some of my research, but it's there. You know, at some point, it was nicknamed Louise. Do you have any, you know, any idea where that came from? It goes back to the Malco days,
1: and I forget who thought of it, and I don't remember the circumstances either, but um, there are signs that were painted for the Annunciators, the which you can see behind me, I think which are automatic act announcers. This, these were the mechanical version of the scantily clad woman with the easel and the cards. <laughs> and they, if, if prodded, they might still operate. But the signs that I had in there had said Louise for many years, both under Malco and under the Orpheum, I believe.
0: Yeah, but you don't call her Louise.
1: Well, that sort of slipped Into oblivion. I mean, it's sort of, people quit calling it that because I thought it was a cute thing Mm -hmm. when we first started doing this. And as I say, I don't remember. Somebody might have just called her Louise out as casually and it stuck. Uh I haven't emphasized that since this latest uh, rebuild and I call it a rebuild instead of a restoration because oh, I, yeah, yeah. it's part, it's, it's sort of a restoration, but improvements were made and literally the organ was rebuilt from the ground up.
0: Yeah, Everything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Wurlitzers were numbered also, yes. I was reading, and this one in particular is opus number 1956.
1: That's correct.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: It's the 1956th organ, either of this model, which is a style 240, or at all. I think they built, I don't know how many theater organs they've actually built of all sizes and shapes. Mm -hmm. The one, um, the largest ones, there were five of the, Balaban and Katz theaters, and then of course Radio City, which is the largest Wurlitzer that was ever built. Mm-hmm. That uh, the uh, big Balaban and Katz organs had five manuals and uh, lots of stuff attached to it. The most famous ones were the four manual organs, considered the best of the line. Uh, that several still exist uh, the Detroit Fox, the St. Louis Fox both still have their their organs another one is in an auditorium in texas the organ that came from the times square paramount but there's several that are still around
0: Mm -hmm. wikipedia uh, claims that there's about 50 worldwide that are still in their original theaters doesn't mention whether or not they actually play or not but are functional but Wikipedia claims there's 50, worldwide, there's 50 mighty Wurlitzers left in their original theaters.
1: Well, you know, the Brits love theater organ music. In fact, it was the, Brit, the Brits that installed Wurlitzers in ballrooms.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there are uh, a couple of famous organs still playing in the ballrooms. And there is a Wurlitzer in the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago, which I have played. That's one of the ballrooms that Lawrence Welk made famous, because his band played at the Aragon. The Aragon is still open, still operating, and so is the organ. And it's a Worlitzer.
0: So can you, for the November 19th concert, can you give us any teasers as to what you might be playing, or any little snippets of anything? There's one surprise. Okay, you can And when the
1: organ was being demonstrated for me the first time, I asked to hear the, the uh, what we would call a church harp. Is actually what Tony describes as a celesta on steroids. It's a very large celesta. It's got a funky name on this, on the, on this organ. But, um, you know, you can sugarplum very out the front door. And there is another particular piece that everyone will recognize that sounds better on here, or sounds exactly the way it's supposed to from the soundtrack, okay. so you'll get to hear that. Okay. And I'm the nostalgia guy. I'm going to be doing taking people back into the organ's past and demonstrating a few things. Tony's style is very different, and he gets to do the silent movie, which is something that he's very proud of. It's an excerpt from The Cameraman,
2: mm-hmm.
1: a Buster Keaton film. And uh, I'm taking it as my job to just show the organ off.
0: Yeah, yeah. Can you play any of it, or, or do you want to save it for the 19th?
1: I'll play you something. Okay. Oh, I didn't put any stops down.
2: (laughs) Duh!
1: (laughs)
0: That's it. Okay. Beautiful.
1: That's great. That's beautiful. That's my coming up number. Uh, Like I say, you can play anything. You can play Chopsticks with one finger and and the lift come up and people will applaud. But that's a song called Hundreds of Girls from the musical Mac and Mabel, which nobody has ever heard of.
0: I have not but heard that, yeah.
1: It's, but it's a musical about Max Sennett and Mabel Norman, which is in the silent era. And that song is, explains how he's getting the idea for Max Sennett's bathing beauties. Well, he will use these hundreds of girls, not one, not two, not a pretty one, not a, uh, a homely one, but all kinds. Uh-huh. And it works very, very well.
0: Beautiful this must be fun it is yeah I mean really it just must be fun
1: yeah it really is and it's it's like being home I've ridden this lift so many times and the thing about an organ console lift is you can be playing come to Jesus on in whole notes Mm -hmm. and the lift comes up and people will applaud Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's funny Mm-hmm. It's like at cemeteries, you know, if, which is one of my other hobbies, and Willie knows all about this. If you took ground-penetrating x-ray technology down any row in any cemetery, what you'd find underneath there would be pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all about the marker. It's the marker that, get, that puts all the information on there right. that you think needs to be remembered or somebody that needs to be remembered, thinks that needs to be remembered. Yeah. Mine is gonna be a very nice one. Part of it's already there. Uh huh. And the thing about my monument is, <clears throat> I worked with the monument company on this, and of course they were delighted because I was buying secondhand objects My monument at Elmwood says this monument is 80% post-consumer recycled material. (laughs) The only one with that inscription in the whole cemetery, because it's true. (laughs) And that has a story that goes with
0: it. Mm
1: -hmm. An interesting and funny story. Yeah. Let me tell you one more story, because this has become very popular of late. Theaters are very interesting places. Everybody who comes in the back door is working very, very hard to convince 2,000 people they don't know that what's going on up there is real. The people that come in the front door, it's called suspension of disbelief, come in ready to be convinced that something that's going on up there, or even on a strip of film, is real. All of this energy collides at the footlight and makes the magic we call theater. Well, theaters are also like sponges. Every event leaves a little something behind. And the right song by the right person will flip that switch and it will all come flooding back. That's one of the things that makes this room such a wonderful place to be in, no matter which side of the footlights you're on. And uh, the people that come in the front door just go, oh, wow. When they see this place yeah. and the people coming in the back door go, ah, because this is a good place
0: to play. It's a beautiful place to play, yeah.
1: This is the Milton town Thank <smart noise> you.
2: It kind of made the hair stand up. Uh, yeah. Yep. Me too.
0: Oh my. That's great. Oh, it's just it's it's just this.
2: Oh, it makes me feel good. Oh, it's
0: like this. I I can't even describe the feeling when you hear the sounds. Oh, no, I it, know oh, it's just.
2: It's, and you,
1: it's everything.
2: It, you oh,
0: hear gosh. it in your, you feel it in your heart. You know.
1: Well, I was able to flip the switch. When I was down here and the organ was being demonstrated, I forget uh, what he was playing. I think it was, There Will Never Be Another You. And I had a flashback. Uh huh. All those hundreds of people who courted in this theater during the war. They were all around me. Funny how that happens. Mm-hmm. And my father did not go to war because he was a, a locomotive engineer, what they called an essential war industry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Although he was A1, he didn't get called up. But he and mother courted here, and they remembered it very, very well.
0: Yeah. Very sweet. Yes.
1: It's uh, it's amazing, really. You know, when you think through all of this, of all the things that have happened in this room. All kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a story about Mary you don't hear very often in that a person approached me once who had been an usher under Malco. And it was during a picture, you know, it was during a matinee, and he was down in here doing something and saw this woman in. He saw the little girl in white up in the loge and went to see what was going on and when he got he got there he didn't find anyone but a couple of boxes up there was this young woman who had snuck up into the mezzanine to eat her lunch they married and he remembered that so clearly but i mean who wouldn't but that's a merry story you you're very seldom and i heard it from the person it happened to i'm sorry in my old age i tend to get more emotional than i used to but it's uh, it's a wonderful story you know one of the thousands of stories of all kinds yeah. <laughs>
0: And Astor, thank you for indulging us today. You're welcome. The the sounds and the stories are wonderful. What an amazing setting this is, once again. So thank you so much. And we will all look forward to November 19th right here. Thank you. This has been your host, Mark Fleischer, bringing you this very special edition of Storyboard 30, recorded live at the Orpheum Theater on the corner of Beale Street and South Main in downtown Memphis, with historian and organist, Vincent Astor. A very special thank you to our friend, historian and filmmaker, Willie Bearden, for his ongoing support and for recording this special moment in time. And as always, thank you to WYPL broadcast manager, Tommy Warren and producer, Vance Durbin, and to you listeners and supporters of the Memphis Public Library. Thank you for tuning in here at Storyboard 30 as we continue to search for unique ways to tell the Memphis story. Memphis, make it a great week and stay safe out there.